Hey, turn with me this morning to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter 1. We'll read from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God. Let's remember the words that we're reading are God's words. Words that were given by his breath. Words that are inspired, inerrant. Let's hear God's word. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I would not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you may stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a, an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Amen. We know God will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 22, right through to verse 27. And my theme today is to examine... The mindset of Paul, the prisoner. Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 to 27. And we're thinking of the theme, the mindset of Paul, the prisoner. Now remember the context of the writing of this letter to the church at Philippi. The apostle Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He's in the prison cell, young people. A damp cold, rat-infested place. He's chained to a, a Roman guard 24-7. You think of changing the guard, and he's still chained to one of them. He's awaiting execution at any moment because wicked Nero was on the throne and he hates Christians. He murders Christians for sport. 
Paul's imprisonment meant, of course, that he wasn't free to carry on his public ministry of preaching and teaching the gospel of full and free and forever salvation. He wasn't free to visit the churches that he'd helped found under God. He is separated from his family, from his friends. He's cut off from fellowship with God's people in a physical sense. And churches, of course, like Philippi, were very anxious about Paul's state and condition. They're very worried about the impact that his imprisonment is having on him and his health and on the furtherance and promotion of the gospel. And in order to relay some of that fear, in order to relay some of that anxiety, Paul picks up the pain inspired by the Holy Ghost and writes to them from the prison cell in Rome. And he has a a message for them. He's something to tell them. And as he does so, he gives them at least a little insight and glimpse into his thinking and into his mind as he sits there in the prison cell. And that glimpse into Paul's mind or the mindset of Paul the prisoner is really found especially in Philippians chapter 1 verse 22 right through to verse 27. And as you look at this portion of scripture, there are three things that really should jump out at you and and latch on to your own mind. I want you to notice them. First of all, I want you to think of Paul as the heavenly-minded man. We're giving a little glimpse here into Paul's mind. And as you look at verse 22 and verse 23 in particular, you can see here his declaration. You see, in writing his letter, Paul answers two of the great questions to do with life. Look at the context, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. There you've got the reality of life. What is the meaning of your life now, Paul, in prison? What is the purpose of your existence? Why are you here? Why are you alive on planet Earth at this time? This is going back to the first century. Paul, how do you sum up your life? Notice the short, profound answer that he provides. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ. In other words, my life's not about me. I I don't live a self-centered life. It's not about me or or me making it big or having a name for myself. It's not about me living a a, a dream of fame and fortune and wanting privilege and position and power. No, my life is all about Jesus Christ. I live for Christ. I live in Christ. That is, he lives in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He's in saving union with Christ. He could point to the date and the time of his conversion on the Damascus Road. And I wonder this morning, can you talk about being in Christ? Are you saved? Have you got a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ? The Apostle Paul could also say, I live for Christ. In other words, for his honour and glory. That, that, That was the very centre of his being. He could also say, I live through Christ. 
In other words, it's by his strength and, and by his power that I um, live the way I do and behave the way that I behave. Remember what we read over there in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, a very important text of scripture. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And one day Paul could say, and as he writes here to the church at Philippi, I'm going to be with Christ. So here's the reality of his life. I live in Christ. I live for Christ. I live through Christ. And I'm going to be with Christ forever. That's the reality of his life. Now what's the sum of your life? Notice also here the reality of death. Remember he's in prison awaiting execution. It could happen at any minute. Isn't it true today that many are reluctant to talk about the subject of death? Or even to think about it or contemplate it in any shape, form or fashion? To, to them, dress it, death's a dreadful thing. And so it is. It's called in the Bible, the last enemy. Death brings pain and sorrow and grief and tears. But as Paul approaches the subject, as he mentions it in the letter, for me to live as Christ and to die, he's not terrified. He's not apprehensive. There's a complete absence of fear. As he thinks about it, talks about it, he treats it in a very calm, confident, collective way. Hi. Here's the answer. Death is a gain to every believer in Christ who lives for Christ and through Christ and has the assurance that they're going to be with Christ. Now, now that's what he declared. And I'm saying this morning, he's a heavenly-minded man. Why? Because he's thought through the reality of life and he's, he's ready for death. I want you to think also what he desired. He, he says in verse 22, But if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I would not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, this is what he's saying. He's got something to look forward to. <clears throat> something that's a great blessing to him personally. Something that he welcomes. And what does he welcome? To be with Christ. Which is far better. Think of Paul the prisoner now. A prisoner of Nero. He's answering these two great questions in his mind. A question about living and a question about dying. He's got a true and full assurance of faith. He's got absolute confidence in Christ. Why is he alive? And his pending death. And yet when you read verse 22 right through to verse 23 and into 24, you get a sense of Paul's mind that's torn in two. Of Paul being indecisive. Of Paul not being sure. Now, now we're used to his language 
I'm persuaded, fully persuaded. I, I know this, I know that. Now he's telling us that he's torn between two things. His, his mind is in a dilemma. Which should he prefer? Should he prefer to carry on living? Or should he desire death and go to heaven and be with Christ? There's no struggle between living and dying here. The reality of life for Paul was Christ. He was ready for death. To him it was gain. There's not one issue opposed to the other. Paul's difficulty is this, what should I choose? In fact, he tells us that. If you look at verse 22, uh, and there's nobody says, but if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I would not. That's his difficulty. That's his dilemma. Paul's difficulty is which to choose. Should I be ready to die? Or should I be ready to live? Should I be ready to go to be with Christ? Are ready to continue service for the church and be a help and a benefit to them. Paul had a genuine, heartfelt desire to be with Christ, which is far better. Yet he, he couldn't decide. He desired to leave this world for the next and to die and go home and to be with the Lord. I just wanted to point out something that this word desired, underline that in your Bible. It has to do with lust. And when we think of lust, we think of the lust of the eyes, we think of the lust of the flesh, we think of the pride of life. But the, the word desire means to crave after or to, to lust after. Now, now think of Paul, and he's craving for what? For that day when he'll go home to be with the Lord. He tells us here, have a desire to depart. We'll pause for a moment. The word depart contains the idea of loosing or, or undoing something. Think of a boat. It's tied up against the harbour wall. It's against the quayside. And the sailors come along and they're uh, taking the ropes off. In other words, the ropes are being loosed off the ship that's tied to the harbour wall. Uh, and once they loose the, the ropes, they're, they're undoing the ship. Uh, and, and the ship is free then to sail in, in the ocean. We could use another illustration. You've heard of campers maybe using the language to break camp. Now, that doesn't mean to destroy it. That doesn't mean to, to, to burn the tents and throw the pegs away. No, no, it means to dismantle it. It means to, to take it down. It, it means to, that they're going to move somewhere else. And that's what that word depart also means. You think of a yoke of oxen that a farmer has, they've been plowing all day, the day is over, the work is done, and, and the, the farmer comes in uh, with the yoke of oxen, and what does he do? He doesn't just walk into the house and leave the oxen standing there, no, he, he takes the yoke of burden off them. He, he unyokes them, so, so they can be released from their burden, so they can rest. And, and that's Paul's idea. He desires to depart. What do you mean, Paul? Uh, he's craving to be loosed so that he can seal to his heavenly home. He, he, he's craving to be released from the burdens and battles of life so that he can lay them down finally and forever. So he can be free from the struggles and difficulties of life. Paul is craving that his tent will be uprooted and he can carry on his journey towards heaven and towards home. He desires to depart. Notice he desires to depart. And to be with Christ. He's with a Roman soldier 
They're changed maybe three or four times every day. He's got this guard by his side. And Paul's saying, I don't want to be with this guard. I want to be with the guardian of my soul. I want to be with Christ. And notice also, he has the thought, which is far better. So he desires that which is far better. What does that mean? Something that can't be excelled. Something that can't be bettered. Something that's beyond his wildest expectation and dream. And, and he's telling us, I, I crave this more than anything else in the world. This is my heart's desire. This is what occupies his mind as he sits in that cell. I desire to be loose from this world. I desire to be released from every burden and heartache and tear and trouble. I, I desire to uproot and move on to heaven itself. The thought this morning is this, that Paul's mind was fixed on heavenly things, eternal realities. He's a true citizen of heaven. He's already sitting spiritually in heavenly places in Christ. We're getting a glimpse here into a heavenly minded man. His mind is on heavenly things. A man who's not so wrapped up in this world of affairs that he, that he can't think about or, or, or desire heaven. He's not taken up with the comforts of this life because he's in a cold, damp, rat-infested cell in Rome. He's not carried away with the desire for power or, or desire for position or desire for pleasures. He's not even living for, for pounds in a monetary sense in this life. No, they're all faded into insignificance whenever he begins to think about heaven. His mind is filled with glorious thoughts of heaven and home. Now, how often do we think of heaven this morning? Should we not ask ourselves what occupies our hearts and minds? Especially when we're in a hard place. Especially when we're going through difficulty. Especially when some situation that arises that causes us panic and fear and alarm. Big question for us this morning is, do we think of heaven at all? And even in such a situation as this, do we think of heaven? Remember what Philippians chapter 3 and in the verse 20 we read, For our conversation is in heaven. From thence also we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word conversation in Philippians 3.20 has to do with our manner of living. For our manner of living is in heaven. Remember what we read in the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 3 and the verse 1. And again, it was the Apostle Paul writing to a different church. He said, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections in things above, not in things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. In other words, we, we shouldn't be taken up with what we're going to wear, or what we're going to eat, or what we're going to drink. We should be taken up with who we are. We're, we're citizens of heaven. 
We're in Christ. And where are we going? We're going one day to heaven. Let me illustrate that. Suppose you were contemplating buying a new house. You went along to view it. You would talk about that new house, wouldn't you, to family and friends? You would think about it. You'd be telling others, you know, we're moving from this location into a different location. And we're excited about that. Now, now suppose that particular house was perfect. You didn't need one thing to do in it. Not not even a, a stroke of paint. It was sitting in absolute perfect condition. And all you had to do was move in. That illustration is something that's just a faint reflection when we think about heaven, the home of many mansions. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, in my Father's house are many mansions? If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And here's Paul, and he's thinking of this heavenly place. He's thinking of this home of many mansions. He's thinking of absolute perfection. And his mind is taken up with it. And he's telling this to the Philippian church. He's telling them, my mind's in a quandary. Because I really don't know whether to choose heaven or home. Paul craved and desired We've thought of him making a declaration, the reality of life, ready for death. We've thought about him desiring, not only living for Christ, dying in Christ, leaving this world for the next to be with Christ. And he's not really thinking, I I believe, of the golden streets or a reunion with loved ones or meeting the patriarchs or some of the prophets. He's not even thinking about the throne that God sits on or the tree of life or the songs of praise offered by the choirs of angels. No, he's only thinking of one, and that's Christ. For me to live as Christ. He says, when I go home to heaven, I want to be with Christ. If you're away as a traveler, oftentimes alone, maybe in a hotel bedroom, there's nobody knows that it can be a very lonely place but when you think about home when you're traveling back home you look forward to it if a husband's away it's his wife that he wants to meet if parents are away it's children that they want to come home and have a reunion with and here's Paul and what does he he tell us he wants to be with Christ that that's the heart of his desire Uh, also think of his delight Perfect companion with Christ. Perfect communion with Christ, which is far better. Here our hearts can be cold. Here we can be guilty of sin and backsliding. Here we can be, our minds can be full of unbelief and doubt and we can be taken up with the carnal things of the world. But in heaven, there's perfect communion. There's perfect conformity. Because when he's with Christ, he'll be like Christ. And that's another aspect to going home to heaven. We've got a new body, like under Christ's glorious body. We're, we're perfected, we're free from sin in all its shades and forms. And there's perfect comfort. 
here we are guilty of failure. Here we're perplexed by circumstances and situations that are right. Here we feel the burden and heat of the day. And, and we can be full of sin and shortcoming. And we feel that. Yet in heaven there's the perfect comfort of a sin-free life. And when he says it's far better, I'm going to, with, to have fellowship with a perfect companion. I'm going to enjoy perfect communion. I love perfect conformity and I love perfect comfort. Is any wonder his mind was in heaven on Christ? Do we have such desire that leads to such delight? Notice secondly here and very quickly, Paul was not only a heavenly minded man, but he was a helpful minded man. Look with me at verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. What does that mean? You've heard the saying, someone can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly use. Well, I'm not sure about that. I think a man could be earthly minded with no heavenly use. But I think if you're heavenly minded... You can still be of earthly use. And let me tell you why. Because Paul's mind was on heaven. Heavenly things. Yet he still longed in that prison cell to be useful on earth among the people of God. He says here, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He's thinking about what is best for the church. Remember he's the, the founder of this particular church under God in Philippi. He's a servant's heart. He's thinking of the needs of God's people. He's thinking of what is best for them at this time. Church in Philippi wasn't perfect. The church at Philippi has a few divisions. There's a few strifes there. there there's, there's quarrels. Remember he, he, he says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Synthache that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, and that was only one area of division. And Paul's not a selfish man. He's a selfless man. And he's willing to remain alive on earth so that he can help the church. And he wants to help them in a number of ways. Now, now look at our Bibles there. Look with me at verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance. Underline the word furtherance. In other words, he wants to remain alive so that they can continue to make spiritual progress for your furtherance. He wants to help them to go on with God. He wants to help them to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants to help them so they can continue in prayer and continue in the word of God and continue in praise and continue to attend the services and continue to give themselves to missions. We have to testify. If a man's not going forward and growing in Christ, that man's falling back. And that man's not growing in Christ. How many of us feel a, a cold, backslidden heart at times? 
We don't give ourselves to prayer the way we ought. We, we, we don't have a relish for the word of God the way we ought. We, we, we don't even have a relish for faithful attendance at the house of God as we ought. We, we can easily be sidetracked. And, 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 and of, of course, if, if health permits, we ought to be in the house of God. Now, if you're sick, that's a completely different thing. I'm, I'm not dealing with that. But what I'm saying is that here's Paul and he wants to remain alive in the prison cell to help this church in Philippi make spiritual progress for your furtherance. Isn't it so easy to wander? Isn't it so easy to, to grow cold? Isn't it so easy to move off centre and backslide? And how many today are going back from, from following hard after Christ? Paul says this is one of the reasons why I want to remain alive. He's a helpful-minded man. He's not saying, well, look, I'm just going off to heaven and leaving you there. He wants them to make spiritual progress. Notice also here, he wants them to have spiritual praise. If you look at the text, it says, your furtherance, verse 25, and joy of faith. If you add in the next verse, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Notice these words. Your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Isn't it hard to rejoice in the difficult circumstances of life? Isn't it hard to keep going? Maybe when you're facing major surgery and you're traumatized by that, you're wondering what's going to happen. Is there such a thing as being able to rejoice in the Lord? Is there such a thing as having abundant joy in Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. Because here's Paul and he's in a very dark, difficult situation. <laughs> He's, he's chained to a Roman guard. He's awaiting death at any moment. And yet, what does he talk about? He talks about, I want to remain alive. Not only you can make spiritual progress, but you can have spiritual praise. You can rejoice. You can have joy in Jesus Christ. In his grace that's unending to you. In his glory. In, in, in his goodness. In his guidance. Isn't that tremendous? He also wants them to have spiritual power. If you look up there, verse um, 27, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The word conversation, again, means to your manner of living. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you may stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel he's saying I want you to remain unified I, I don't want you to be untied as a church I don't want you to fall apart I don't want you to fight with each other I, I want you to remain faithful to the gospel I want you to stand fast for the true gospel of Jesus Christ and I want you to do so in a spirit of unity I want you to do so with one heart and with one mind you see Paul is thinking here of the needs of this church. What do they need in Philippi? They need to make spiritual progress. They need to go on with God. And you know, that's what we need to do. We need to go on with God. Despite our difficulties and our circumstances and our situation, 
whether it's numerical or financial, we need, we need, need to go on with God and, and allow nothing to rob us of, of a life of power and victory in Christ. We need to have spiritual praise. Rejoice in the Lord, despite our circumstances. I mean, should, should, should the whole world fall in around us? We still rejoice in the Lord, because that's possible. <clears throat> and we also need to know this spiritual power of being united to stand for the faith of the gospel. And we'll come back to this next week because this ties into the church having a goal and having a mission and having a purpose for our existence. And we need to think of that. Why are we here as a church? And what can we do to make progress as we go on with God? Paul was a helpful-minded man. He's thinking of being useful to God's people. And, and even though he's saying, look, I would love to go home to heaven to be with Christ, which for me is far better. Nevertheless, I want to remain in the earth so I can be useful at God's will for the good of his church. Isn't that a lovely thought? Notice lastly, Paul is also a happy-minded man. I'm convinced as I've thought about this, there's one little phrase here that jumped out at me. And it's in verse 27. He says, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Hear of your affairs. See, see, Paul, Paul is happy that these people are in Christ. Paul is happy that they're living for Christ. Paul is happy to teach them that they live through the strength of Christ. He's happy to teach them that one day, like him, they can be with Christ, which is far better. His mind is not only in heavenly things and mind in being helpful, but his mind is being truly happy in the Lord because he's fulfilling his purpose. And what's the purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Paul has found a state of contentment. Paul has found a state of confidence. He's thinking here about your affairs. What sort of affairs? God's work in Philippi. Is it making progress? Are they enjoying praise? Are they standing with power? In a unified way for the gospel. What about God's word? Have they got a love for that word? Are they straining their ear to listen? Are they saying, Lord, speak to me? Have they, have they grasped about God's will? What's God's will? Like Paul, the summary of their life ought to be, for to me to live as Christ. I've set them an example. They should be living for Christ too. That should be the sum and summary of their life. Aye. And God's will is that they're ready for death. Let me ask you. Are you ready for death? Death could come for any of us. At any moment. Young or old. Remember the Bible says prepare to meet thy God. Amos 4 and 12. Why? Because he's coming to meet you in judgment. And if you're out of Christ. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you, you cannot be. And Paul in that prison cell, even though he's awaiting death, he knows that his times is in God's hands. He can say, my times are in thy hands. He, he lives and moves in God. 
And he knows his Savior. He knows Jesus Christ. And is not the secret of true happiness and true contentment. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. And how many young people today are looking for happiness? They're trying to find it out there in the world. And, and it's a happiness without God, without Christ. And, and the more they delve into the things of the world, the more really unhappy they are. Why? Because they weren't made for the things of the world. They weren't made for a sinful life without God. They were made for God and a life of fellowship and a relationship with him. That I may know or hear of your affairs. How God's work is going. What about God's word being preached? God's will for your life? These are the things that thrill me. He's really saying. So he's a happy minded man. Could I just ask. Are these are the things that thrill you. Have you a concern for God's work? And God's word being preached? And God's will for your life? Just ask yourself as we finish. And next week I'm going to speak to the Bible class on understanding God's will. What does that mean? Does that mean that you've grasped the reality of life? That your life should be centred in Christ? You could answer the question. I'm ready for death. Because if you can do that, then you too will be happy. You've discovered the secret of happiness. Because it's tied into a personal relationship with the God of heaven. It's not in the things of time and sense. It's in God and in a relationship with him. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.